0: we'd like to sit. I think Rosemary is going to read for us.
1: The first reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. It can be found on page 139 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we hear how the early church fulfilled Jesus' commission to the disciples to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, before being introduced to the vibrant church in Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for that for an entire year they associated with the church and taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world, and this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that, according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The second reading is taken from Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. It can be found on page 37 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, calling people to turn to him in repentance and faith. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Please do be seated and shall we pray together. Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds, and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This season of Lent is what we know as a time of preparation. It's a time of journey. It's a time of challenge. In terms of preparation, we think of Jesus' preparation in the wilderness of 40 days and 40 nights. In terms of journey, we think of how in the Gospels it says that Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. And in terms of challenge, we think, what does it mean to take up our cross and follow Jesus today? So in this new different world that we are all living through where many of us, I guess, find ourselves thinking and looking and seeing what's happening and somehow thinking, like in the words of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, we're not in Kansas anymore. Kind of like in this age of so many things changing, these so many times of in between where we see so much of the future, it seems at times, crashing into the in betweenness of the present. Where might meet this Lent in terms of themes of preparation, journey and challenge, where might we go to look in this ancient book of wisdom for what it means to live the Jesus way of life for today? And here's where I found myself going over these past sort of like weeks, these past few months. I found myself being repeatedly led by the Holy Spirit to study the stories of the church in Antioch in the book of Acts, one of which we heard read this morning. That's the first thing. I found myself kind of being led by it there. And secondly, I've kind of been listening to the whisper of God's Spirit. And I've kind of been thinking, it's now the time. It's now the time where For so often, for the last two years, we've kind of spent so much time as a church looking inward. To start to look outward. And what might that look like? In terms of thinking of these themes of what might be the habits? What might be the values as a church we might want to look to embrace and adopt in this new, different world we live in? So let's begin, if you like, the preparation. Let's begin the journey. Let's begin the challenge. For me, the first question to ask is, why this church? Why this church of Antioch now? And for me, when I've been looking at this particular story of the church of Antioch, three reasons have seemed paramount. Here's the, the first This church, as we read at the beginning in verses 19 and 20, if you follow it with me, it was a church born out of disruption. It was a church whose origins were rooted in in tribulation. The immediate context we read of this church starting was because of the church in Jerusalem suffering persecution and them scattered to the then ends of the earth as a result of Stephen being martyred. These were not easy times for the church. You know, we, we get so conditioned to, to living in times of, of, of certainty that we think that that's always been the case throughout history. But on very few occasions has the church ever known a period of certainty like it has in recent decades. But we've spent this past Two years becoming accustomed, haven't we? We've spent the past two years becoming accustomed to watching the news, however we've watched it, or reading about it, and we've kind of seen graphs and charts. And you all know what those graphs and charts that I'm thinking about, you know what they are. But over these past two to three weeks, the, the graphs and charts have gone. And they've been replaced by a map haven't they? With arrows pointing in a certain direction. Well, what I've tried to do this morning is kind of indicate on this first map that you have on your handout. We'll put it on the screen for those who might be watching online. And if you're watching this later, then the handout that people have got in the building will have been emailed to you. You see, here's the map the map of how the church, if you like, out of Jerusalem got scattered. We read as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. There's Phoenicia. Think today of modern-day Lebanon. There's, there's Cyprus. Something like we know someone in our church, certainly from the earlier congregation, who's just left Cyprus. We can imagine Cyprus. Maybe we've been to Cyprus. And then we come to this place called Antioch. Here's the first thing for those who might know a bit more about the book of Acts. It's not the Antioch that we'll come up to later in Turkey. Although this Antioch called Syrian Antioch is in today what we know as Southeast Turkey. It was a city 300 miles north of Jerusalem, 15 to 20 miles roughly inland from the Mediterranean on the river Orontes. It was actually the capital city of the, the Roman province of Syria, the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria, with a population of anywhere between three hundred to 600,000 people. It was just this thriving, crowded Cosmopolitan city in the ancient world Where kind of like the traditions of East met West The Greek and Roman traditions mixed with the Persian, Semitic and Arab influences That was kind of this city of Antioch But it was a church there born out of disruption Kind of like a bit like the past two years As a church here, island-wide, worldwide, as well as the rest of our lives. A period that we've never seen before. Think about what we were doing. Two years virtually to this very day. So in to that period of disruption that we've seen, what can this church born in disruption teach us? Here's the second reason why this church now If you were to read the whole of the book of Acts, what you'd see is how this church in Antioch was central, absolutely central, absolutely pivotal, absolutely critical to the movement and growth of the early church. Remember, for those of you who don't know, what's the key verse in Acts? It's in the first chapter. It's verse 8 in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus, just before he's ascended, he says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We kind of know that that's Christianity one or one. But just think about it. It was out of disruption that Jesus' words were fulfilled. We're doing very well in Jerusalem, thank you very much, and Jesus' words just like might have been a faint echo. Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It took disruption, kind of like for Jesus' words to be fulfilled. If we were to look now at, at three more maps that you've got on your handout there, they're kind of three famous maps. Some of you will have these maps in the back of your Bible at home. They're the maps we know as Paul's three missionary journeys that take up most of the second part of Acts. You know, as you look at those three maps, I've kind of put them all together on your handout. If you look at those maps, what do you start to see? You see, here's what I start to notice straight away when I look at those maps. I kind of notice where the journey started. All of them. And I notice where two of those journeys ended. Antioch. If you like, you can read about it through Acts 13 through to 21. We have, if you like, the written testimony from Acts 13 onwards of Jesus' words to his disciples of the growth of the church to the then ends of the earth. If you know the stories, I'm sure many of you will will have read them before. You'll read of the stories of the church at Corinth. The church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, all New Testament churches that had letters named after them in the Bible as well as other ones. But what you will find repeatedly is the references to the church at Antioch. In fact, in early church history, apart from the church in Jerusalem, no other church played a central part in the early life of the church. The springboard, wasn't it? for Worldwide Christian Mission, the birthplace of foreign missions, the home base for Paul's outreach to the eastern half of the Roman Empire. This church at Antioch, born out of disruption, had this real outward focus. So what made it teach us, for these times that we've lived in, of disruption, of what it might look like to be a church that looks outward. And then here's the third reason why this church in Antioch for now. Could you notice verse 26 with me? And that word, that word that often some of us love and some of us hate, the word Christian, can so often be misinterpreted today, can't it? It could be used in varying contexts and different meanings, but it was actually here, if we read, this is where the word was born. Probably as a nickname, but one which definitely told you a lot about what was going on in the place, as far as those who were looking outside were thinking. A community... Performing the essential tasks of a church so visibly recognized by outsiders that they know who are its members. They're the, the king's people, if you like, the God's anointed people, they're little Christs, if you like, a people who proclaimed the Lord Jesus, a people who reflected their Maker. That was them, the original. And we read, the hand of the Lord was with them in verse 21. And a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord is an expression used by Luke in his gospel and in Acts to imitate the Old Testament phrase, the hand of the Lord was upon them. It's what every church needs, isn't it? The hand of the Lord to be on them. It's an expression, isn't it, used throughout the Bible, if we think about it, where we might have heard those words used to symbolize God's power, his might, his activity, creating the universe, in protecting and preserving. Sometimes when we read the Exodus story and the stories of the prophets of punishing The hand of the Lord was against them. The hand of the Lord determined the destinies of the people. Think of the four great E's in the Old Testament. Ezra, Ezekiel, Elijah, Elisha. All in their ministry would talk about how the hand of the Lord anointed them. You see, any church, doesn't it, it doesn't matter wherever they are, It can either be led by the hand of the lord or it can be led by the hand of a person or, or people you know we've seen this we don't need to go to any kind of theological college or bible college to notice this many of us have spent so many years in our lives that if we added up the years we'd kind of be almost prehistoric wouldn't we we spent so many years that we, that we know, we've seen this, that a church can either be led by the hand of the Lord or the hand of a person or, or people. And the difference is in, a, in its fruit because there are three natural flaws that any church can, can, can fall into. It's so, it's so easy to do, almost by default. And it just shows when the hand of the Lord is kind of there, that it kind of turns becomes outdated, frozen in time. See, amidst the, the great difficulties of the past two years, one of the great benefits was it kind of released the shackles. We let it go. And there are so many, kind of, it doesn't just happen in church life, it happens all over the place. And they want to go back to what was going on two years ago. And kind of lots of things do stay the same, but at least 20% changes. We become outdated. Here's the second, kind of like when the hand of a person or people is on a church, we kind of turn inwards and we make it all about us. And kind of one of the real difficulties of the past two years is it's kind of made it all about us because we've kind of been drawn to be so self-absorbed. It's not just in church life, it's in all walks of life. And here's the third one. We kind of grow older. The three natural flaws, if you like, of a church that's just been led by a person or a people. And so, over these next few Sundays, what I want us to look at is to kind of think of those three natural flaws, if you like of what it means to be led, if you like, by the hand of a person or people and compare them with, if you like, five habits. Five habits that I see evident in, in this particular church in Antioch that led them outwards. You'll see those five habits. They're on the, the back page of that handout. I'm just going to go through one of them today. You'll see how all of those five habits, they correspond with a particular value. Here's what I know. You will look at that list and you might start immediately ticking off or going, hmm, not sure about that, or putting a big question mark or a big cross. Because we will all have a natural leaning to maybe some of those than others. Some of them will make us uncomfortable. Some of us will make us think, oh, well, I do that. That's great. Tick the box. It's about adopting and embracing all five. And so in the time remaining, I'm just going to run us through this first habit, if you like, and the first corresponding value. It's something for some of you that is just natural for you. For others, others if we're honest, we find it more difficult but here's why it's important here's why if you like I'm going to explain to you how absolutely central it is to Christianity and then maybe see in five minutes time or so whether you agree with me or not you see the first habit is the habit of blessing it's the habit of blessing three people each week one of whom isn't a member of of, of our particular church. By that, I mean one who isn't a believer. That habit creates a value of generosity in us. And so let me show you how central blessing is to Christianity. You see, the first time we come across the word bless, anybody know? First time we come across the word bless? It's on the first page of the Bible. When God said in the first creation account to man and woman, He God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply on the earth and the rest of the verse from there. If you like, before we kind of talk about original sin, we have original blessing from God, if you like, as if God's default setting Some of us need to be reminded of this. God's default setting is to bless because he's good. Remember that the Hebrew word for bless is the word borak. It's used on 330 times throughout the Old Testament. It means to bless the one who blesses you. Now if we were all to get, up into, get into a helicopter now and if we were to go on this whirlwind helicopter ride across the Old Testament and we were kind of like to take a panoramic lens and just kind of look and look down on all of the Old Testament and kind of see where does blessing occur? We'd see that right at the start blessing is absolutely central to the key theme running all the way throughout the Bible, that theme of covenant. Take God's covenant with with Abraham in Genesis 12. What does God say to Abraham? He says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make you a great nation and I make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. Move forward a few centuries, turn up with Moses. And what does God say in his covenant with Moses? He says that just as throughout the generations, disobedience could lead to curses, so also he says that his blessings could run through the generations. He says the same thing more centuries later about the 10th century to King B.C., to David, doesn't he? He says how, remain obedient to me and my blessings will remain on you through the generations. You know, if we stay in that helicopter just for a few more minutes, just think about the, what are the most famous words of blessing we've heard in the past two years. What's been the biggest global Christian song of the past two years. 66 million hits just on YouTube alone, just on the original video. The Lord bless you and keep you. The words of the ironic blessing. Think about the psalms. Think about how often the word bless occurs in the psalm. Think about what? What one of the biggest Christian songs of the past 10 years. You know, bless that Matt Redmond penned to words, you know, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgives your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who crowns you with steadfast love and renews your life with good things so that your youth will be renewed. This theme of blessing occurs over and over again, the power of blessing. If you stay in that helicopter, if we were to stay in that helicopter, and then we make the jump. We kind of make the jump to the New Testament. What do we what do we see in the New Testament? We see how Jesus is God's blessing to us, isn't he? Born in the city of David, to be God with us, who becomes the, the cup of blessing. As we sang just earlier, who dies for us on the cross. And who after his resurrection and before his ascension, bestows on us the blessing of his Holy Spirit, the power of blessing. You know, there are two Greek words for bless in the New Testament. We know one of them. It's eulogia. It's what people will often do in this church at a funeral. They'll stand there. Or they'll stand there. Or they'll stand there. And they'll give this testimony to someone's life, won't they? That's one of them. The other word that's more common is the word "makarios." It actually means to be happy. That's why some of you, if you've got your English Bibles, will look and the word "bless" is translated as "happy," because "bless" means, in that sense, that this is a time that's as good as it gets—exuberant joy. You now Jesus said in the Beatitudes, didn't he? That we are so blessed if we know Jesus because we know that he is the best thing that we'll ever have in life. That's what he says in the first the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will know God. But we'll also know that in those same Beatitudes, it's not some silver bullet or some insurance policy for uh, against pain and suffering. Stay in that helicopter, think about Paul. Think about Paul and what did he say to the church in his most famous words? A blessing to the church at Ephesus that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You know, we could keep going on the pages and we'd kind of touch down on the last page of the Bible and you know what we'd find on the last page of the Bible? The eternal blessing of God. And so now if we kind of jump out the helicopter and we kind of just focus in on this church in Antioch, we see three ways in which they were a blessing. Firstly, to Barnabas, don't we, in verse 23. He'd kind of been sent by the Jerusalem church. Now whether the Jerusalem church, the established church, saw this upstart church, And were wondering what on earth is going on there. So they sent someone to check them out. Whether it was like that. Or whether he was just an outsider who just came along to see what was going on. We don't know. But he was an outsider. And yet look. They blessed him. Then. You know, people in church, you know, we have long memories, don't we? Yeah. So then Barnabas, this guy who's come from the outside, he then decides that what he's going to do is he's kind of going to bring the person who kind of was the greatest enemy to the church and he's going to bring them right into the building and they're going to spend the year together. And they bless him. And then think about it, I was thinking about this, and you know, I thought of deanery synod meetings. I don't know why I thought of deanery synod meetings, but I thought about when there comes to the discussion of the parish share. And I kind of think sometimes of myself, and I kind of think, because St. Juan's always gives more than what it needs to, or it should do. And I was kind of thinking... Sometimes even my own attitude is not to bless the church that is not paying its parish share. And then we have this situation of need, don't we? For the Jerusalem church. The founding church who's going through this difficult time and yet what do they do? They just bless. The power of blessing. Because we're best defined, aren't we, as people, as a contribution, not a consumer. You know, Jesus said it in this words: so it's more blessed to give than to receive. So that's why I think this habit is really good for now. And so let me just leave you with three simple ways that you could bless three people, people—two, maybe two within the church, one outside. You can do more. I mean, it's not, just start, start with three. Here's three ways that we could do that. We could, we could firstly, just something simple, isn't it? Use words of affirmation. Did you notice how much in those covenants, and you can go home and read them because the references are on there, how much God's covenants talked about either blessing or cursing. You'll see that link right the way throughout. Words make or words break, don't they? Words make or words break. Simple power of a phone call. To write an email. To send a text. To write a note. Because it's like oxygen to the soul, isn't it? You know, I wonder, even if you... Agree agreed with their politics or not, if you wrote a word of blessing to every politician in the island, how different it would make them feel. Because the default of most people in this island is to criticize. And so they just get sick of it. Words make and words break. Here's it one. We could just practice acts of Kindness. Because the church is built, isn't it? church isn't built on great theological statements because if we kind of think about it, if I had a discussion with you about theology, we'd find bits, wouldn't we? It's quite soon where we'd just disagree. Church is built on the one another statements of the church. Be kind to one another. Love one another. Be hospitable to one another. Be patient with, with one another. And just provide that practical assistance. And if, if you can't think of anyone, then... Just come and ask me, I'll give you the list. And then, give gifts. Not birthday gifts, just random gifts of kindness because it shows that you value someone. Because at the heart of love is the idea of giving. Amy Carmichael said it, didn't she? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And so, what you see with this idea of blessing, it kind of ricochets around the church. God, it just moves around. And it moves us also outward. So shall we pray together? Why don't we stand together? And maybe if you're watching online, you might want to to stand as well because And we'll open our arms to God's Holy Spirit and just say to him, Lord, would you help each one of us this week to just take this idea of blessing? And would you maybe just bring to our minds now those three people Because if we know you, we already have the blessing of your Holy Spirit. And you would just reveal to us what we could do. And would you speak into our hearts, whether in this building, whether we watch this online, wherever. would you just reveal to us who you want us to bless because we have been blessed in knowing you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen